2 Samuel chapter 16. If you'll open your Bible there, we're actually going to go through chapter 16 and most of 17 today. Second Samuel chapter 16. What we're going to look at today is what happens when we trust God and walk beside Him in His will. What happens when we trust God and when we walk beside Him in His will. And what we're going to see is that God gives tremendous protection to us. And He is, uh, the Bible says, our ever-present help in time of trouble. And we're going to see that in David's life today. You know, for me, as a, as a kid, um, we... Uh, we had a, a German shepherd. His name was Please. He got his name because he used to jump up on my sister's bed and she would say, please get down, please get down. So they named him Please, original name there. And um, so he was a classically trained police dog. He was an attack dog. And he was very aggressive. And, and, and um, so much so, he, he actually attacked his handler. And he was so aggressive and, and such, a, such a, 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 a vicious dog that the San Diego Police Department decided that they needed to get rid of him. And so in their infinite wisdom, they sold him to a guy who had three kids, my father. And he brought him home to our house. And we had this German shepherd, trained attack dog, now, the cool thing was is that he absolutely loved us. German shepherds are, are very loyal. They choose, you know, the master that they're going to, you know, submit themselves to. Um, and he loved us. And having such a, 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 a ferocious animal who was, who was just, I mean, I used to ride him like a horse. You know, we would climb all over him and he, would, he was just great. I'd play with the hose with him and everything. He was great to us. But if you messed with us, man, he was your worst enemy, you know? And it was kind of handy to have this kind of a dog around because, well, a couple of examples. One time, uh, my folks lived in La Jolla, and the, the, there was a, a salesman that came to the door, and it was the classic stick-your-foot-in-the-door kind of salesman. And so my mom went to shut the door, politely told the salesman she didn't want anything to do with it. The guy stuck his foot in the door. And so my mom's sitting there, she's scared, and she's wrestling with this guy at the door. Well... Police saw it, or please saw it, police, please saw it, <laughs> went police on him, went, he took off, and he's going to eat that guy up. And so the guy is running for, for his life. Well, to his benefit, please hit the tile floor and lost traction. And so, you know, give me three steps, mister, towards the door kind of thing. This guy got his break, and so he's running. Well, at their house... There they had the front door and then they had sort of this entryway, sort of courtyard area and then a gate. And so this guy, he bails it through the courtyard area and he slams this gate behind him, this big iron gate. Well, that dog hit that iron gate with all four paws. He was having him for lunch and he almost took the gate out of the wall. Uh, He hit it so hard. That's, That's one story. Another story, when I was, you know, I was probably seven or eight and I had some neighborhood bullies, and they, they told me that if I, I came outside that they were going to beat me up. And so I put please on a, on a leash, and I took please outside. Now, I thought it was a great idea. Please would have happily had these guys for breakfast. I mean, had they been stupid enough to lay a hand on me, they didn't. They left me alone. Now, my dad didn't think it was such a great idea. 
my, my dad disciplined me severely when I, he's like, you did what? <laughs> you know, but, but the point here is that having that dog by our side, well, it afforded us incredible protection. As long as we were walking with him, man, we were untouchable. And that's what David is, is, is going to, to discover today. What we're going to see in David's life is that, well, David's going through a time of trial right now. He's, he's on, his, on the run from Absalom, whose who's, who's his son tried to kill him, uh, tried to overthrow the, the government. He, you know, David had gotten, into, gotten off track with God and so on and, and had sinned against the Lord. Now, the Lord had... had, had you know, forgiven David, and he had restored David. But, but man, there's consequences to your sin. Even though God forgives sin, even though he can restore you, and so on, sometimes there's just consequences that are unavoidable. And so for David, he's got some consequences, and one of the consequences was that his sons, uh, Absalom and Amnon, well, they got off track. They followed in the ways of their dad. And so Amnon got into sexual sin, like his father did, raped his, his half-sister Tamar. And Absalom, who was Tamar's full brother, the half-brother of Amnon, he murdered Amnon for what he did. And so this has been what's going on. And Amnon, or Absalom has blamed David all along. He never really fully repented for his sin. And so he sort of blamed David all along for, hey, this is where I'm at. And so now David is in the season where he's on the run for his life. And, and he's going through a tremendous trial and so on. But what we're going to see is that because David trusted in the Lord, because David's walking with the Lord, well, God's going to protect him. Now, there's a couple of things we're going to see today. We won't, have to, we won't have time to get all the way through the lesson that I had prepared today, but we're going to look at two things. First of all, we're going to see that when we're walking along with the Lord, that God frustrates the plans of his enemies. That's the first thing we're going to look at. And the second thing we're going to look at is that God answers the prayers of his children. So when you're in a trial, and maybe some of you today, you're here and you're in a trial, you've been through a hardship, and you need to, you need to know and be reminded of the fact that, listen, God and you make the majority. God and anybody makes the majority, okay? There's no weapon that's formed against you, the Bible says, that can prosper. And so that's what we're going to look at today is that, hey, listen, first of all, if you take a note, you can write it down, God frustrates the plans of his enemy. We'll pick it up, 2 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 15. It says, meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. Now, remember, Ahithophel was David's most trusted advisor. And Ahithophel, man, he, he has, um, he's bailed on David. He, he rebelled against David. He stabbed David in the back. He decided that he was going to go with Absalom when Absalom decided to undermine David's authority and to, and to overthrow the kingdom. Man, Ahithophel's with him. And so that's what the text is saying to us here is that Absalom now, he's, he's successfully, you know, done this coup, so to speak, and he's now moving into to Jerusalem, the capital city, and now he's got David's most trusted advisor, Ahithophel, who's with him. Verse 16, it says, And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king. Long live the king. Now you'll recall Hushai was one of David's good friends. And when David was on the run out of Jerusalem and he's heading, he's gone across the Kidron Valley, he's heading up 
the Mount of Olives, same path that Jesus took when he was betrayed. As David is going there, he runs into Hushai, and, and as Hushai comes down, Hushai's like, dude, I'm with you, David. I'm going with you. And David said, no, you can, you can, you can do me better service by going back to Jerusalem and worming your way in to Absalom, get in his good graces, and see if you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. We're going to look at that more as we go. So this is what's going on here. And so Hushai, following through, he goes into Jerusalem. He talks to Absalom. He's like, hey, long live the king. Long live the king. Now notice in between here, all the words that he says, Absalom thinks he's talking about him. And in his pride, he's full on swallowing it all. But, But Hushai... If you, if, you, if you know the, the, the truth, which is he's, the, in his heart, in his mind, the king is David, all the words that he says have to do with David and not with Absalom. And so here Hushai is, he says, long live the king, long live the king. And so Absalom, verse 17, said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? In other words, what, this is how you show your loyalty to David, your friend? Why didn't you go with him? Verse 18, and Hushai said to Absalom, no, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, uh, and with him I will remain. Well, who had the Lord chosen? David. And so what, what Hushai is cleverly saying here is that I'm with David, but Absalom thinks he's talking about him. And so Hushai continues, verse 19, he says, Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? No, don't you love the way he says that? He doesn't say, should I not serve his son? He says, should I not serve David in the presence of his son? That's the idea. Um, As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Um, In other words, I'm going to be faithful to David. Um, and um, verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, so it just goes on from there, and so the assumption is he bought it, all right? So verse 20 says, then Absalom says to Ahithophel, David's trusted advisor who had stabbed him in the back and had gone with Absalom, he says, give advice as to what we should do. You know, this, this just cracks me up, because here, Absalom's, those that, that stab people in the back and those that, that, you know, are traitors kind of thing, they're good at stabbing people in the back, but they stink at leadership. And so here he is. He's now in a, <coughs> in a leadership role, and instantaneously, he doesn't say, all right, here's what we're going to do. He doesn't say, oh, hey, God, what should we do? He instantaneously turns to Ahithophel, and he's like, well, what should we do? And so... Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father, and then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. In other words, what he's saying is, look, your dad left some concubines home to keep the house, and what you need to do is you need to go have sexual relations with them in the sight of all Israel so that everybody will know, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. Because this was sort of what kings would do when, when somebody overthrew a king, they would take everything that belonged to that king including their wives. And then what that would send the message to everybody in town was, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, and everything that that guy owned, I now own. It's mine. And it sent a very strong message to say, hey, look, I'm in charge here. 
And so this is the advice that Ahithophel gives him. He's like, go in and do this thing. Um, and so, verse 22, they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all uh, Israel. Um, and uh, <laughs> my son's picking out the worship set for the church today. He's like, uh, he sends me an email earlier in the week. He's like, I'm not quite so sure how to pick out a worship song for this, you know. And this is just one of those things that is is... It's good advice strategically. It's absolutely reprehensible. It, it, and, and, you know, here Absalom goes to Ahithophel, this wise man, says, give me counsel, what should I do? And this is the counsel that he gives. Great strategic advice, certainly not honoring in the sight of God. Now, I'll tell you what it is in the sight of God, though. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Because he said says that he did this in the sight of all Israel. And if you'll remember, when, when David fell into sin with Bathsheba, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband Uriah to cover it up, then what happened was he went through this time of, obviously that, that affects your relationship with God. And David got off track and he's out of fellowship with God for a season and it's eaten him up. So, so God sends Nathan the prophet to come and call David on his sin and David repents and he's just, he's so sorrowful over his sin. And he, he mourns over it. He, he weeps over it. He repents to God. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to kill you. I'll forgive you. But he says, you know what? You're going to suffer some consequences. And one of the consequences that God said that was that this very thing would happen. It's like, you know what? Somebody's going to take your wives out in the sight of all Israel. And they're going to do to your wives what effectively you did to, to Uriah's wife. Well, this is a fulfillment of God's word, which, not in my notes, but it's, it's a point of application for us just to be able to take note of the fact that God keeps his promises. He does what he says he's going to do. And that's, you know, that's a good reason to, to be mindful about obeying God. It's also a good reason just to be encouraged in life. God promises, listen, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He promises as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. He promises that if you turn to him, if you cry out to him, he's not going to cast you out. But that he will, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the promises of God, and you can take them to the bank. They're rock solid. And so... They pitch this tent. They do this in the sight of all Israel. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 23, And now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. And so was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. In other words, his advice was regarded as, as if God was speaking. And like I said, he was the guy, he was David's most trusted advisor. He could be counted on to give very wise counsel. Um, and, uh, and so this is, verse 23 isn't saying that this counsel that he gave was godly. It's just saying that, you know, this is the reputation that he had, that he always gave really good, wise counsel. And in this situation, it's very wise strategically, but it's certainly not uh, godly. Um, Chapter 17, verse 1, we continue. It says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. So <clears throat> Ahithophel, when asked by Absalom, Hey, what should I do? He says, Okay, first thing, 
Go send the message. There's a new sheriff in town. Make sure you go have, have relations with the concubines on the roof. Let everybody see it. Hey, I'm, I'm the new king. And then now he's, he's taking it to the next step. He says, now, here's, here's what needs to happen. Let me choose 12,000 men, and I'll arise, and I'll pursue David tonight. Look, let me take a strategic <clears throat> force of guys. David's on the run. He's cold. He's hungry. He's tired. He's weary. Now's the time to strike. So let me, let me take, you know, a team of Navy SEALs, man, and we're going to go put them out of our misery, you know? Let, let, let me go do this thing. He says in verse 2, I will come upon him while he's weary and weak, and I'll make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. This will be a surgical strike. We're not going to have any collateral damage. We're just going to take him out. <clears throat> verse 3, he says, Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return... Except the man who you seek, all the people will be at peace. And verse 4 says, The same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And just get a glimpse into Absalom's heart there, how twisted he is. This guy basically says, Let me go kill your dad. And it pleases him. He's like, Yeah, cool, we'll do that. Well, as I said, the first thing here is that God frustrates uh, the plans um, of of his enemies. And, and, and what we need to understand right now is that you got this situation where you got a guy giving counsel that, that is decidedly ungodly. You got a guy who, who could really, you could set your watch by normally, this is the guy that you're going to trust. And David, in fact, no record of him going to God, no record of him doing anything else. He goes straight to Ahithophel and says, hey, uh, you know, what should we do? And this is the counsel that he gives. Now, at this point, let me talk about counseling for a minute. Isaiah 9.6 says this. I'll put the scripture up on the screen for you. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Talking about Jesus Christ. And one of the names for Jesus here is Counselor. And that that name, Counselor, that word Counselor, literally means to advise or to consult. And that truly is the heart of all counseling. When you seek counsel, you're seeking advice, you're trying to find somebody with which to consult so that you can determine what is a right course of action for you. What I want you to consider here is that Jesus is the counselor. Additionally, John 1.14 tells us that Jesus is the Word. Again, I'll put the scripture on the screen for you. It says, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The psalmist said this, that he said, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so the very definition of counseling here, from a biblical perspective, is that counseling is the proclamation of God's word to men and to women um, for the purpose of navigating a path through life. That is what counseling is. Counseling is the proclamation of God's word. God's word is the true north. This is, this is what all counseling is based upon. God's eternal word. Now, this definition of, of true counsel 
differs sharply with what the world's definition of counseling is. See, because what happens is the world sees, well, you know what, I want counsel, I'm going to go to, you know, a licensed counselor. I'm going to go to a psychologist. I'm going to go to a psychiatrist. And I'm not, I'm not denigrating those professions. I think those professions are great. However, the root belief of psychology is problematic because here's what it teaches. Psychology teaches that if you look deep enough within yourself, you're going to find the answer to all your problems. That's what psychology teaches. Hey, we just need to look deep enough within yourself and go back and, have, you know, let's look at your childhood and let's look at, you know, all of this. And we're going to look deep enough within you and we're going to find the answer to all your problems. Well, the Bible says that if you look deep enough within yourself, you're going to find the source of all your problems because you're the problem. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And Jeremiah 2, verse 3 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. This right here is the banner scripture for 2016. This is the world that we live in. This is America. That, that what happens is, we've committed, by and large, two evils. Our people, our nation has forsaken God, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn for themselves, they've dug for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold any water. Jesus, talking to the woman at the well, he encounters this, this gal, and he says, uh, hey, you know what? Um, I, you know, I'll paraphrase, I can give you, you know, when you drink from the, the water that I'll give you, you're never going to thirst again. She's like, I'll take some of that. Give it to me. He's like, go get your husband. Come back. I'll tell you all about it. She's like, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've, you've had five husbands, and now the guy that you're shacking up with now, he ain't your husband. In other words, Jesus is telling this gal, look, you've bent your life around men. You've tried to find, you've tried to quench this thirst that you have. The thirst that you have and, is, is a thirst for love. And you're looking for love in all the wrong places, is what Jesus would say to this gal. And, and, and so you've got a broken cistern and you're trying to quench this thirst and it's just not getting quenched. And there's only one thing that can quench your thirst. And Jesus would say, that's me. See, the, 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 woman look, or the world looks to human wisdom, but you know what? Christians are instructed to look to God. So critically important that we do that. So for us, we need to understand that the only counsel that's worth anything has to be founded upon God's word. It has to be founded upon God's word. Peter said this, he said, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as, as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And therein lies the problem with, Ahith, with Ahithophel's counsel. And that is this, that God isn't glorified in it. He has wisdom for the things that he's saying. And in truth, he gives great advice, but his great advice isn't God's advice. And there's a big difference. And so this is the problem with Ahithophel's counsel. This is the problem with Absalom saying to him, hey, what should I do? And then Ahithophel says, well, here's what you should do. Hey, 
it's a problem. So what does God do with this? Well, Proverbs 21.1 says that the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. And he, God, guides the king's heart wherever he pleases, wherever God pleases to guide the king's heart. And so what we're going to see now as we continue is that God is going to intervene and he's going to direct the king's heart in a different direction. The king, uh, well, Absalom uh, is the guy who's posing as the king. David is the true king. But what's happened is Absalom now is taking the advice of men. But God's like, no, that's not the direction I want you to go in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist it, and I, I'm going to have you go in the direction I want you to go in. So verse 5, chapter 17 says, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. David's plan is working perfectly. Hey, Hushai, get in there. See if you can thwart the counsel um, that, that, that Ahithophel gives. See if, you, see if you can twist that counsel. And so right now, Hushai's in that place, Absalom's bought his story that he's with him. He's truly with David. And so now he says, hey, you know, what do you think we should do? Verse 6, And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner, tells him what he said, shall we do it, shall we do what he says? If not, speak up. And so Hushai said to Absalom, this advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. That's a stroke of genius right there. Because he's, he's, he's not saying that the council itself is bad. He's like, well, that, man, that's a, that's a great idea. But the timing stinks. Really bad timing for that. So he says, not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they're engaged, or they're enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father's a man of war and will not camp with the people. Come, surely by now, he's hidden in some pit or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. In other words, he says, look, your dad, he's a, he's a brilliant tactician. He's really upset. He ain't going to be with all the people. So you're going to send these 12,000 guys, this hit squad, to go find David. And what he's going to do is he's going to be hidden out, and he's going to ambush them and they're going to take casualties and then what's going to happen is the word's going to come back and say oh we sent these guys to go fight David and sure enough he pulled a David on us pulled a rabbit out of the hat and we've taken casualties and what he's going to go on to say is everybody's going to freak out and they're going to lose their nerve and verse 10 this is what he says he says and even he who is valiant whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt completely for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. And so we will, in other words, he's saying, look, get everybody. Get all of your tanks, all of your F-16s, all of your mortars, fire, all of your howitzers, all your forces, and then you lead it. You'll have overwhelming force. You'll take him out, and you'll be seen by everybody as the guy who led the battle. So this is, this is what you want to do. And he says, verse 12, So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we'll fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, 
Uh, There shall not be left so much as one. And moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, because you're going to have all your forces, and we will pull it into the river until there's not one small stone found there. Verse 14, key to the whole thing here. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Now here's why they said that. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So what's going on here? Listen, God answers the prayers of his children. That's what's going on here. God answers the prayers of his children. Listen, remember back in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter uh, 15, in verse 31. It says there that David prayed. And he, he asked God, he said, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Well, this is exactly what God has done here. He's turned Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness by Hushai's advice. And, and so what, what's going on here, well... Psalm uh, 146.9 says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And that's what God is doing here. He's frustrating the way of the wicked. And that word frustrating is interesting. It literally means to bend or to make crooked. And so what he's doing is he's taking Ahithophel's advice, which strategically is the right advice. God's bending it. And he's bending it by Hushai being in there in this place. And that's a direct answer to David's prayer. Now, some of you might be reading this and you might say, Whoa, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Ted. Didn't David manipulate the situation? I mean, didn't, wasn't David the one that went to Hushai and said, Hey, man, why don't you go there and thwart this, thwart this counsel? Why don't you go there and be there to counteract the advice that Ahithophel might give? How can you call that an answer to prayer? How can you say that that's him, you know, that that's God answering the prayers of his people? Isn't that more David manipulating the situation? Well, here's what I would say to that. Yes, David did tell Hushai to do that, but when did Hushai show up on the scene? Again, look back at chapter 15, there in verses 31 and 32, the way it goes down chronologically is that David prays and then Hushai shows up. In other words, it's an answer to his prayer. He says in verse 31 of chapter 15, as he's making a a run for it out of Jerusalem, somebody comes up to him and says, Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom, which was totally a knife in David's back. And what is his prayer? It says, And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now watch verse 32. Is God already starting to answer the prayer? It says, Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God. So he's prayed. He's worshipping God. He's trusting in God. What's the very next thing that happens? There was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. Listen, so often what happens is when we pray, we think that the, that in order for our prayers to be answered, that it has to be some bolt of lightning, something profoundly supernatural. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God works remarkably practically in our situation. And this is the case here where David prays, and all of a sudden Hushai shows up, and David goes, 
right on, dude, you're exactly who I need to go and do this. And so he gives him this instruction that, yeah, get out there, get on this. Look, don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. Some of you right now are dealing with something. For Brenda and I, you know, sometimes I'll stress about something and and my wife's great because she'll be like, well, did you pray about it? And I'm embarrassed to say a lot of times I'm like, no, I didn't pray, you know. And she's like, well, pray about it, you know. And a lot of times, some of you, maybe even last night, you lost sleep over something that you're stressing over. Maybe, maybe even right now you've got this, and you know how it is. I mean, it's, it's bad now, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's 50 times worse. And, and, and you know what? Have you prayed about it? Pastor Chuck always used to tell us, listen, do your best, pray that it's blessed, and God will take care of the rest. And, and, and so, what are you dealing with today? I would, I would encourage you three things. And maybe you just might want to jot it down. It's not profoundly new, but it's, it's a good reminder. Number one, have you prayed about it? Number two, are you doing what you can about it? And, and number three, are you alert to the answers that God is giving to your prayer? We all know that, that joke. The guy's stuck in a flood and he's praying, God, deliver me. God, save me. And some guy shows up in a boat. Hey, here, I'm here to save you. And he's like, oh, no, that's cool. I prayed to God. Thank you. And another guy comes along in a boat. No, I prayed. I'm trusting God. Another guy comes along in a boat. No, I prayed. I'm trusting. Now the water's up to here and a helicopter shows up. They let down a, a, a rope ladder. He's like, oh, I prayed. I'm trusting in God. You guys have heard this, right? And so then what happens is the guy dies, and he goes to heaven, and he's like, God, what happened? You let me down. God's like, what do you want, dude? I sent you three boats and a helicopter, man. And a lot of times, you know, that when we go through situations, we need to pray, we need to trust God, and we need to recognize God's intensely practical. And the answer to your prayer might be that all of a sudden you go, oh, here's something I could do. I could sell something. Oh, here's something I could do. I could, like, you know... Heaven forbid, cut Starbucks out of my budget, you know, and I could make ends meet this way, or whatever it is. And so we pray about it, we do what we can about it, and then we just keep our eyes open to how God is moving in the situation. Well, we continue now, verse 15, chapter 17. It says, Then Hushai said to Zadok and to Abathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore stand quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest uh, the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. And now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed, uh, stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city, and so a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Now David set all this up. If you'll recall, when he was on the run, you know, he ran into Hushai and Zadok, uh, the, 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 or rather he ran into Zadok and Abathar the, Abiathar the priests, they're carrying the ark. He goes, I'll take the ark back, back to Jerusalem. And he goes, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you guys there because you, you're going to be my eyes and ears. And then you can, you can use your sons to, to, to transmit information. I mean, it's not like they can, they can 
text you or send you an email or something, you know? He's like, we need this, this courier network. Your sons can be the couriers to, to get information to me. And so Jonathan is Abiathar, the priest's son, and Ahimaaz is Zadok's son. And so these guys are going to run back and forth and, and give information. And, and so... They couldn't be seen going in and out of the city. So what would happen is they'd get their information from, from a little you know, slave girl. They'd transmit it, and then they'd run, and they'd go ferry the information on uh, to David. And so what happens is Hushai sends this information, and the message that he sends to David is crazy. He says this. He goes, look, hey, they wanted to come get you with a small force, but I told them to take the whole army and come after you, you know? Which seems like crazy, but what he's doing is he's buying David time. He's like, look, if they come right now, you're toast. So I told him, amass all the army and then come out, and that'll give you time to slip away and to regroup and figure out what you're going to do. So this is the message that he sends. And so they've got this courier system set up so that they're not seen coming in and out of the city. But nevertheless, verse 18, it says, a lad saw them. And told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and they came to a man's house in Behurim. This is a town outside Jerusalem on the way to Jericho. This is just geographically where it's at. Um, And this guy, they go to this house. He's got this well in his house, uh, in his court, and they went down into it. And then verse 19, the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread uh, uh, ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. It's like, you know, Saddam Hussein, when he went and hid, and he's hiding in that underground thing. This is exactly the same thing. So they're hiding there. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And so the woman said to them, They've gone over the water brook, which they hadn't. They're hiding there in their backyard. And, and when they had searched and they could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well, and they went and they told King David, and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus as Ahithophel advised against you. And so David... And all the people who were with him arose, and they crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left uh, who had not gone over the Jordan. So mission accomplished. They got him out of the line of fire. Now, verse 23, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, and he arose, and he went home to his house, to his city, and then he put his household in order, and hanged himself, and died, and he was buried in his father's tomb. Now, here's the deal. Ahithophel sees the writing on the wall. He's like, you know what? I, I can't get out of this. And uh, what's going to happen now, because he's discounted my counsel, David's going to worm his way out of this, and David is going to kill this fool Absalom, and he's going to kill me too. And so what happens here, well, this would be a good time to figure out what Ahithophel's name means. His name actually means brother of folly, and he's proving himself to be just that. He's proving himself, man, just to be a guy that, that lives what, is, what his name implies, that he's, just, he's exer- exercising folly. Now, to get an understanding into Ahithophel, and this is instructive for us. Hebrews 12.15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That's exactly what happened to Ahithophel. Is that he, had, he had this root of bitterness in his heart. 
He was a bitter man. Why? Well, Ahithophel is, is, is um, Bathsheba's grandfather. And so here's a guy who, who watched David, under the color of authority, take his granddaughter. And you saw three of my grandchildren, my granddaughters up here. And, 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 he, and two of my granddaughters up here. He, he, he takes this guy's granddaughter under the color of authority. He commits adultery with her and he kills her husband. And, uh, you know, when you read that and, and you look at what happened with David and Bathsheba, yeah, she was complicit in the sin, but it's like she really had a choice. The guy's the king. And, and he gets her pregnant, kills her husband. I mean, what options does this woman have? Yes, you know, she married him. Yes, God ends up blessing the marriage. Yes, Solomon is going to come from this union. All of those things, that's just a picture of God's goodness. He, God's the one who pulls a rabbit out of a hat in our life all the time. He's good, we're not. So Ahithophel, he's an angry, bitter man. He's got an axe to grind with David. And this anger and this bitterness, even though he served as David's advisor, he's been cooking on this for a long time so that when Absalom wants to overthrow him, Ahithophel's like, yeah, we'll do that. And listen, bitterness can cause you to lose sight of God's grace. That's what, that's what Hebrews 12, 15 tells us. That, that a root of bitterness can cause you to lose sight of the fact that, man, we all need God's grace. And in the process, when Ahithophel, here's the irony, as he's so angry and bitter with David that, and loses sight of God's grace, loses sight of the fact that God's forgiven David, that God's restored David, loses sight of all of that, now what happens is that Ahithophel becomes everything that he despises in David. How so? Well, his first counsel was that Absalom should go take the concubines and take them up on the roof and, and take, you know, what are this man's wives and, and have, have sex with them. And his very counsel is the exact same thing that David did to him. Then his next counsel is, is further, further defiling Israel because they have forsaken God's chosen king and they're aligning against a traitor and committing treason and Ahithophel's at the heart of all of this and it all stems from the bitterness that's in his heart. And now he's so bitter then rather than repenting, he kills himself. You know, it's interesting, when you read this, there's a remarkable similarity between Ahithophel and another guy who hung himself, Judas Iscariot. Because they, they both betrayed the king. They both hung themselves. And listen, neither of them had to. Think about Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus Christ. But he wasn't the only one who betrayed Jesus that night. Who else betrayed Jesus? Peter betrayed Jesus that night. Now what's the difference between Judas and Peter, Peter repented. Peter repented, and here's what I know about the Bible. As far as I can tell, everything that I read in the Bible tells me that everybody who repents, truly repents, God forgives. And now, yeah, okay, it's, it, it's an exercise in conjecture because it's not the way that it went down. Judas didn't 
repent. Judas didn't ask for forgiveness. What did he do? He went out and hung himself. And the Bible gives his obituary. It says that he went to his own place. Where was that? We don't know. It was the hell of separation from God. That's what it was. Jesus promised his disciples, the remaining disciples, who didn't betray him, he said, where I am, that's where you will be. I go to prepare a mansion for you. I go to prepare a house for you. I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. But, Jesus, or, but Judas went to his own place. Why? Because he didn't repent. And I'm of the mind, had he repented, that, that he would have been forgiven. Because the Bible says that the, the only sin that God can't forgive is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and it, the best way to describe it, it's just unbelief. That's what it is. I have people that will come up to me, they'll be like, I'm afraid that I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that I've committed the unpardonable sin. I'm like, just the sheer fact that you would articulate that you're afraid about that tells me you haven't done that. Because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting Jesus Christ. It's unbelief. That's what it is. And so, had in this situation Ahithophel repented, and just recognize, you know what? God's hands on David. I need to repent. I need to ask for forgiveness. And we know, we've seen David's, the way he functions, the way he operates. If, if Ahithophel came to David and said, dude, I blew it. I totally made a mistake. Would you forgive me? Do you think David would have forgiven him? Absolutely. This is, that's his character. That's his nature. That's what he does. And he's a picture of God. God's character, his nature is to forgive. And right now, today, maybe some of you in a place where you think, well, I've done too much. Or maybe I can't, you know, I, God can't forgive. Yes, he can. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But see, Ahithophel's in the place where he's so bitter and he's so despondent that rather than repent, he kills himself. And I want you to notice here that Ahithophel, before he killed himself, he put his house in order. And, 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 and that's a good thing to do. It's wise for us to put our, our house in order as long as it includes our spiritual house. Ahithophel here, he decides, that, well, I'm going to kill myself, so I need to put my house in order. Now, let me just tell you, there's a right way to commit suicide. Do I have your attention? Okay, there's a right way to commit suicide. Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Some of you today, you might be you know, at the end of your rope. You're like, man, I'm losing it. And I say, you know what, great, because here's what Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever, uh, uh, whoever, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, will find it. See, unbelievers are deceived. They think, you know what, if I take my life, that's going to end it all. And what I would say to you is, no, that's not going to end it all. Because you are an eternal being. You're going to live forever. The only question is where you're going to live for eternity. You're either going to live eternally in the presence of God. And the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. Because you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or you're going to live eternally separated from God. And the Bible calls that hell. 
And so, so death doesn't end it. And, and it only compounds it for, for those that are left behind. My grandmother committed suicide. Now, I never knew her. She committed suicide when my, when my mom was, was a kid. But you know what? It, it hurt my mom desperately. And my mom to this day will tell you what suicide is, very truthfully. It's very, it's the most self-centered thing that there is. And it damages us and destroys. And this is just the continuing outworking of Satan because his entire objective is to damage, to kill, to destroy. Jesus cast out a demon and the demons, you know, said, oh, put us into that herd of pigs. And what immediately did the herd of pigs do? They ran down the slope, ran into the water, they drowned themselves, they killed themselves. A man came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He's like, my son's demon-possessed, and the demon keeps throwing him in the fire and keeps throwing him in the water. Why? Because he wants to kill him. And that's Satan's objective. He wants to kill you. And here's the crazy thing about suicide. And maybe, I don't know, maybe some of you are considering it. I don't know. But suicide, what we do is we say, I'm going to fix everything by killing my body. Hey, your body's not the problem. It's what's inside, and you're not killing what's inside. There's only one person, one thing that can kill what's inside, and that's Jesus Christ. And maybe today that's you, and maybe today you just need to be in a place where you go, I, I'm going to just turn to the Lord. I'm going to cry out to the Lord. I'm going to cling to the Lord. Yeah, I need my house put in order, but not to kill myself. I need my house, my spiritual house put together, and I need God to put to death that thing in me that makes me want to die, and I need to trust in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so what I want to exhort you today here as we close is this. And we'll close right here. You have right now walking beside you ever so much greater than a 100-pound German shepherd that's going to just destroy anything that comes against you. You have today right beside you Jesus Christ who loves you so much he died on Calvary's cross. He paid every penalty that you should have paid died on the cross for your sin in your place. He rose again on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death. And the Bible says he ever lives to intercede for you, to pray for you by name at the right hand of the throne of God. Right this second, he's praying for you by name. And you can walk with boldness and confidence and peace knowing that God has you back, knowing that God's with you, and knowing that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper if you trust in him.